help us uh, by your spirit to pay attention to the words of your son, Jesus, and help us to be sensitive to spiritual reality. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, as a parent, as a, as a dad, and I know those of you who have been parents, grandparents, have had a similar experience that we have had to warn our kids many times to save them from disaster, to save them from danger. And I think about the toddler years of raising kids. I'm still in it, but, um, you know, I've had to chase after toddlers as they were headed into a busy street. Uh, I have taken knives and scissors away from two-year-olds running through the house. And then last week, Sam, who's almost three, was going through the house playing with a lighter trying to figure a lighter. Maybe I shouldn't tell you all these things. <laughs> um, but I had to take the lighter from him and put it away. And he said, don't take it away from me. And I put it away where he couldn't get it and speak to him very sternly about the dangers of playing with fire. And these little ones are not happy. You know, when you stop them from what they want to do and where they want to go, they protest, they complain, they squirm as you carry them away from the busy, deadly street. But a parent knows more than his children. We are aware of dangers that they cannot understand or foresee, and so we have to intervene. And we have to warn them, and we have to teach them in order to keep them safe. And that's what Jesus is doing in our gospel reading. He's warning his disciples about a great danger. And this is something that makes us squirm. This is something that we don't like to think about, much less speak about. And some are tempted to even disbelieve or ignore what Jesus is saying in our gospel reading. But do we believe that the Son of God knows more about spiritual reality than we do? Do we believe that he knows more about eternity than we do? And we can began to conceive. And do we believe that Jesus warns us out of love and concern for us? That is the motive here. That is why Jesus warns us about God's ultimate judgment about hell. God's ultimate judgment against sin and rebellion. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 9-10 through 10 teach us that it is not the will of the Lord that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But then it goes on to say, there is a day of judgment coming. The Bible calls it the day of the Lord. Evil and injustice, sin and rebellion against God is not going to have the final word. God is going to have the final word. And so the works that are done on this earth will be exposed, 2 Peter 3 says. It's not the will of the Lord that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord is coming. And that's what Jesus warns us about in the Gospels. I want to look at exactly what Jesus is warning us about with regard to judgment in this passage of Scripture. And so I invite you to take out your bulletin, if you haven't, and to look at what he says in verses 42 through 48. What exactly is Jesus warning us about? 
And how is it related to God's ultimate judgment? The first thing he warns us about, he warns us about being the cause of someone else's spiritual downfall. Verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and thrown into the sea. That's a terrible way to perish, if you visualize it. But he says the judgment that is to come on such a person is even worse than that terrible way of perishing, of dying. The word that he uses that's translated here, cause someone to sin, is scandalizo. We get our word scandal from this word. And it means to trap somebody, or to ensnare them, or to trip them up, to put a stumbling block in front of them, to trip them up. So Jesus is saying, do not be the cause, do not be the reason why someone tripped up spiritually. That will make you liable to this judgment. And he says something else similar in Luke chapter 17, verse 1. He says to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Temptation is bound to come in this fallen world. But woe to anyone through whom they've come. He's saying to his disciples, you don't be the cause of somebody else falling away from Christ. Don't put a stumbling block in front of these little ones who believe in me. Now, who are the little ones? I think he's referring primarily here to children because just before this, in the passage last week, he he took a little child into his arms. Remember that? The disciples were arguing about who is greater. They They want to rank themselves against each other. And Jesus, in the midst of that argument about who is greater, takes a little child and says, you need to receive, if you receive uh, someone like this, this little child, you're receiving me. You need to pay attention to humble people and not worry about your own greatness. And so I think Jesus may have been teaching this with the little child still in his arms, or at least the little child still present when he talks about the little ones. So I think it's primarily to children or about children that he's talking about. But I think we can broaden this application and we can say the little one includes anybody who's new to the faith or childlike in their faith. They're vulnerable at this place in their spiritual development. So Jesus is concerned about protecting vulnerable people as they're getting started with Christ. And he says to his disciples, do not trip them up. Do not cause them to sin. Do not put a stumbling block in front of them. A terrible judgment awaits a person who does such a thing. It would be better for such a person to have a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the sea. An awful way to die, but Jesus says the judgment for such a person is far worse than that terrible way of dying. So, I don't think we have to work too hard to think about the relevance of this teaching today in our world. I don't know if you have taken a look at the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report, which investigated two years, for two years, the child abuse scandal in the church there in Pennsylvania, six dioceses. 
I would encourage you to take a look at that website, and you can see some of the testimonies um, of those who are survivors of that scandal. And it's gut-wrenching. I'm not going to go into any details, but there was one woman in particular that, as I heard her testimony, I thought exactly about this passage. This is exactly what Jesus was warning against. When she said she has a hard time, obviously, believing in God now, and when she thinks of God, she thinks of him, the man who did these things to her. That can only happen when people do not take seriously what Jesus is warning against here. The people who were involved in that, the people who were covering these things up, they didn't take it seriously. They didn't believe what Jesus is saying. There are ethical implications and consequences to ignoring this kind of teaching. And so, you know, there are people, and I understand the motive in the name of compassion that would like to soften what Jesus is saying, or do away with it altogether. But when that happens, there are ethical implications. Jesus is concerned here to protect the vulnerable. Don't be a stumbling block for such people, he says. And so that's very important. In our diocese, I mean, we, we, we try to do this. We try to protect. We have a program where we try, everybody who works with children, and in our church, everybody who works with children has to go through a training called the millstone. Avoiding the millstone. That's what it's called. So we have to, to keep this in front of us as we work with children. And those of us who've been in the Christian life for a long time need to think about how our words and our actions and our example influence those who are getting started in the faith. On the positive side of this, Jesus wants us to be a positive influence for the little children and for those who are new in Christ. Don't be a stumbling block. He warns us. Don't trip them up. But then he says to the disciples, don't trip yourself up. Pay attention to what's going on in your own life. You know, are there things in your life that are drawing you away from God? And you need to be vigilant against those things, those attitudes, those habits. If your hand causes you to sin or to stumble, that's what it says, to stumble, then cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter life maimed than to have two feet and end up in hell. If your eyes or eye causes you to sin, then tear it out because it's better to enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of life, with just one eye, then with two eyes to be thrown into hell. So you see what Jesus is getting at here? Whatever the cause of sin in your life, whatever is leading you away from God, you need to be active and take radical measures against it. The great Puritan writer John Owen said, Be killing sin. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Sin is active. Sin is not dormant. Sin is trying to draw us away from God and lead us into spiritual death. So Jesus' point in this shocking language, it is meant to shock us, and it's meant to be hyperbolic. His point is, you know what, it's better to go through the pain of, of putting sin to death now 
than to experience spiritual death forever. Put it on the scale. <laughs> What's more important, now or eternity? So I think Jesus might say, by way of applying it today, he would say to, to people, and maybe this is something that, especially as we're younger, we had to deal with and as students in high school or college, but I think it's still relevant no matter what stage of life, but that particularly is an important stage because of peer pressure and the way that works. But I think Jesus would say to such a person, uh, you know what, if you are in relationships or friendships that are leading you farther away from God, you need to think carefully about where this is going. As a Christian, we are meant to be salt and light to the world. We are to influence others for good as a witness, but if they are influencing you for bad away from God, then you need to cut it off, cut off the relationship. Maybe as you get stronger in your faith, you can associate with people and be light and salt in that circle. But if it's leading you away from God, then you need to to think carefully about where this is going and be willing to cut it off. If we're watching something on the TV or looking at something on the computer that's stirring up lust or greed or envy, then somehow we have to kill it. We have to fight against it. Here's what um, Zach Eswine, who is a professor at Covenant Seminary, wrote about pornography in the context of this passage and similar passages in the gospel. He said, pornography is a violation not only against God's law, but against God, but it's a violation of love against other people. And he said, anybody tempted with pornography must take into account the violation of love we express. Speaking to a man, if the woman we lust after invites our lust, then we are encouraging her ruin. Because she's going to be judged by God for what she's doing in inciting lust. And by participating in that, we are encouraging her judgment, or her ruin rather. In Christ, we are not to hasten someone's ruin. And so we violate not only love for her, but we violate love for God. And if we're married, love for our spouse. And if we're going to be married, love for our spouse future spouse. Better to go without lust than to be accountable before God. We're called to fight against it, to be killing it, to be about the business of killing such things in our life. If we find ourselves becoming more angry and filled with rage towards other people, if we find ourselves cursing people with whom we disagree with, we need to think carefully about the direction we're headed, about what's going on in our soul, about the corruption that's happening. Jesus said in Matthew 5.22 in the Sermon on the Mount, whoever calls another person a fool, listen to his words, is in danger of hellfire. But this is what our culture is training us to do. The social media and the political discourse trains us to dehumanize another person and call them a fool if they disagree with us, or worse. And we think it's okay. 
because other people are doing that. Jesus says, whoever calls a person a fool is in danger of hellfire. We we don't have the right to dehumanize another person who's made in the image of God. It's not good for us. It's not good for our blood pressure. It's not good for our soul. And if we find ourselves caught up in that, we need to turn to Christ and repent of the way we're speaking about people. If it causes me to sin, I need to kill it. I need to identify those sources that are inciting me to sin, and I need to step away from them. I need to cut it off by God's grace. And this is only by God's grace helping us to identify these things and the strength to cut them off with God's help. So Jesus is warning his disciples against things that if they're not checked now can lead to spiritual ruin for all eternity. And that's what hell is. Hell is a place of ruin. It's a place of of diminishment. It is a place of perpetual death. C.S. Lewis said, in heaven we become more human, in hell we become less human. It's a place of perpetual death, ruin, dehumanization. The word that's, that's, that's translated hell in this passage, some of you know this, is the Greek word Gehenna, which was actually a place in Jesus' day. There was a valley called the Valley of Hinnon, and at one point in the history of Israel, this place was a place of great evil and desecration. People were sacrificing other people in the Valley of Hanan. So it was associated with evil, darkness, desecration. And then in Jesus' day, the Valley of Hanan was the garbage dump. Because it was a place of desecration, it was the garbage dump for the city of Jerusalem. It, It was the place for trash to be dumped, all sorts of refuge, and there was refuse, and there was a constant smoldering fire to burn the garbage, and it was filled with maggots that fed off the refuse. And Jesus is using that valley, that garbage dump, as a symbol of what it's like to be spiritually dead for all eternity, to be separated from the goodness of God. So this teaching forces us, if we take it seriously, to be serious about life. <laughs> this, again, is not the most fun thing to talk about. I like to laugh. I like to be entertained. I like to keep things light just as the next guy. But you can't do it with a text like this. It forces us to be serious about the direction our life is headed. I saw Josie and I went to Evita. Uh, the other night at the Repertory Theater. It's the story of the First Lady of Argentina, her rise and fall, if you've seen it. And uh, there's one point after she was diagnosed with cancer, they're leading her off the stage, she's doubled over in pain, and she asked the question, where am I going? And the answer is, don't ask the question. And I thought, wait a second, that's the question you need to be asking. (laughs) That is exactly the question. Call a minister. Pray about it, but ask that question. But see, that's a question we don't like to deal with. Our culture doesn't like to deal with. And Jesus says you need to think about it. (laughs) Think about the choices that you're making 
and where that is leading you spiritually. The seriousness of life. French philosopher Pascal said, you know, imagine this, that you imagine a prisoner in jail and he's got one hour to find out the sentence. It's either life or death, and if it's death, in that one hour, he can appeal. And that appeal will be effective. He said, but this is the human condition. So much of us are like this. We're sitting in prison with the one hour, and instead of wondering what our sentence is going to be and how we can do something about it, he says, we're playing card games. We see other prisoners come and go. Eventually they all go. We see it happening. But we entertain ourselves and don't think about the seriousness of the situation we're in. We're all headed towards eternity. We're waiting our turn. We're going to be called out. And the question is, what direction is our life going? Are we moving closer to God now or farther away from Him? Jesus is warning us here out of love to check the direction of our life. That's one way that this teaching affects us. It sobers us up, but also it calls us to ask the question, how then can I find a gracious God in light of this? How can I find a gracious God? If the requirement to, to, to get into heaven and to stay out of hell is that I can do this perfectly, can I discern every sin in my life and can I completely cut it off? Can I do this perfectly? The answer is, no, I can't do it perfectly. And if that's the measure, if that's the bar, then I'm sunk, then I'm in trouble. This is not about perfection. It's about the direction of our life. And it's a warning against this. It's a warning against presumption. It's a warning against the person who says, you know what, I'm not really accountable to God for what I do to him or to others. Don't need to repent. I don't need to turn to Christ to help me to grow in holiness. It's a warning against that sort of presumption and a motivation by God's grace to help battle against sin. The good news and the great news is that Jesus experienced this judgment for us. Jesus experienced on the cross God-forsakenness. He tasted hell. So we don't ever have to. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he took that judgment upon himself. And so we we are not saved. We cannot be saved by our moral perfections or getting this perfect. We can't do that. We cannot rise to that standard. We are saved by grace. This calls us to come to the place of, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner, and I need your help. I need your help to live the way that pleases you. And when we turn to Christ in repentance and faith, then we're saved from the judgment that is to come. And God then works in us to help us grow, to be more like Christ. We are called to be killing sin. We're not going to do it perfectly. But this is a call to engage the fight and to rely upon the grace and mercy of God. So this teaching is something we don't like to hear. I don't. Relish preaching these messages. It makes us squirm. But friends, it's coming from a place of love. It's coming from the one who loved us and gave himself up for us. It's coming from the crucified and risen Lord. It's a warning. It's a warning from somebody who's much wiser than we are. 
about these things and who understands eternity and spiritual reality far greater than we can ever imagine. No one who hears this teaching needs to perish. No one who hears this teaching needs to be liable to the judgment that is going to come if we turn to Christ and say, have mercy upon me, a sinner, and help me to live a life that's pleasing to you. Amen. 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 Let's take a, a moment. Let's take a moment. Let's take a moment to pray about the direction of our life and if there are things in our life that are leading us away from the life of Christ. We have a time of repentance in the liturgy, and that could be a time where we confess that to the Lord. Let's think about God's goodness in saving us from the judgment to come at the cross. As we come to the table this morning, with that in mind that this was the place of judgment that I deserved and Christ took this for me, we can give him thanks and praise for that. Let's think about people we know, friends and family, who we need to pray for, that they would wake up to the spiritual reality. Heavenly Father, I pray for anyone here who uh, is in a place of danger spiritually, that by your grace you would wake them up to repentance and faith in you. Help us all in this room to come to the place that the, the tax collector came to and said, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner, because that is the place of Justification, that is the place of grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen, Amen. Amen.